You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Brittany Hayes, Policy Director at Healthy Minds Policy Initiative. On today's episode, I talk with the Download's co-hosts, Whitney Cipolla and Matt Gleason, about how exactly mental health is funded or not funded in Oklahoma. Let's get started. The Mental Health Download starts now. Welcome everyone to the Mental Health Download. And as you heard from the intro, our special guest is Brittany Hayes. And Whitney Cipolla is here to interview Brittany. She is our advocacy specialist, and that means she is doing all the good at the Capitol this year. And as you may have heard in previous episodes, this season on the podcast, we're focusing on how you can cultivate healthy minds for yourself and your loved ones, as well as for people living in your city and across the state. And advocacy is so important to that. So Brittany is here to explain how mental health is funded and how you can help protect it during this 2021 legislative session. So Brittany, let's get started with your tips for advocating for mental health funding this year. I think that there are a couple of things that that individuals can do when it comes to protecting mental health funding. The first step is always reaching out to your senators and representatives. So first, it's finding out who those individuals are if you don't already know them. But the second key point here is don't utilize form letters. There are so many times when our representatives and senators will get upwards of 150 form letters a day. And what do you do with emails like that? You delete them. And I think that that's just the reality. So first suggestion is always to make these asks and make these conversations with senators and representatives personal. Mental health obviously has a lot of data behind it, but one thing it also has is stories. They're going to be much more convinced by hearing a story one-on-one than they are by a generic form letter that anybody can produce. I think that the other thing that we can do, particularly in this session, is follow protocols for safety for COVID-19. Nobody can have a good conversation if the entire time you're just thinking, am I safe? Has this person been exposed to COVID? So make sure that you're comfortable, but also make sure that that senator or representative is comfortable. That could mean having a Zoom conversation or an email rather than just dropping by the offices. So really be cognizant of those interpersonal dynamics. And although funding is important, it's also important to advocate for programs and populations. Just because you ask for $10 doesn't mean that that $10 goes toward anything in particular. So when you make an ask for funding, make sure that's associated with a particular program or a particular population so that it's not just people asking for money over and over and over again. If your kid comes up and asks you for $20, you're much more likely to say yes if they have a purpose for that $20 um, when they're making the ask. And so I think what we fall into the trap of is just asking for more and more and more money and just stopping there. So knowing the po- the programs and the populations that you want to advocate for also make your story more convincing to the people who actually uh, control the checkbook. Yeah, those are definitely some great tips, Brittany. Thank you for providing those. I'll definitely be utilizing those as well. Thanks again for joining us. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Senate Bill 102 that Senator Haste is authoring. Sure. So Senate Bill 102 and Senate Bill 295 are very similar. It asks for the same sort of spending evaluation. 
And so what Senate Bill 102 and 295 request is that all of the agencies that are funded for mental health programs collaborate and strategize around the dollars that they're given. Another key point in that is making sure that we know where that money comes from. Not all of the mental health spending in Oklahoma is just allocated by the state legislature. Some of it is federal grants, some of it is state grants. And so it's important to know not only what money there is, but also where that money is coming from and what that money is going to. So this bill sets up a an obligation for those agencies to collaborate together to strategize around those dollars. Great. And I think that the average citizen probably just assumes that the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services receives this and spends the most mental health dollars that come from the state. Why are some of these funds diverted across different state agencies in the first place? Sure. And you're right to say that the Department of Mental Health has the majority of those dollars, but they certainly don't have all of those dollars. And some of the reason that those funds are diverted across the state is because they're focused on specific populations. A lot of the work that I do as a former Oklahoma teacher is actually in the education space. So there is significant mental health money being spent in education because we want those education experts to tailor their knowledge around education and gear it toward mental health. The Department of Mental Health does a great job with prevention and does a great job in schools, but sometimes you just need the authority of those other agencies to really be effective and efficient with that money. I think other examples you see of that are with DHS and also the Juvenile Authority. So those dollars are also tailored to specific populations. The other thing is the Department of Mental Health just doesn't have the capacity to work with all of those specialty populations. And I think the trap that we fall into is if we assume that only one agency is doing all of the work, it means that we're not allowing people to really specialize in what they're good at. Other agencies that have mental health spending include the Department of Higher Education, the Department of Corrections. And it's actually a good thing that those agencies have mental health funds because we want to spread the message that mental health isn't just... It isn't just in this one section of government. It really needs to be an overarching idea that comes through in all of the strategies of the agencies because mental health is an asterisk to every issue that Oklahomans face. Absolutely. I think that's a great point, how that mental health really does intersect with every facet of our lives. So you've spoken to it a little bit already, but what are you hoping that this bill will accomplish if passed and how is it going to drive better outcomes for Oklahomans living with mental illness or substance abuse disorders? Absolutely. So I think the first benefit of this bill is it's truly bipartisan. Everybody wants a dollar to be spent well and to be spent wisely. And so what this does is it really takes an accounting of all of the dollars being spent. If you have a budget, but you don't know what you're spending it on or where it goes, then ultimately that doesn't mean anything. You can't plan for the future if you don't have an understanding of what's going on in the status quo. So the first thing it does is it takes an accounting. You get an understanding of what's actually happening. And that's something that you would figure that we have, but we really don't. The second step is it forces collaboration. Some of these agencies do a really great job working together, 
even though they're doing a really great job working together, they might not understand that they're spending dollars in the same area. So if we only have $20 to to give towards a certain program and they're each spending their $10 in the same way, you're not actually getting the ultimate benefit of those $20. So I think that that forced collaboration really prioritizes and forces those agencies to sit down and say, why not maximize the money that we are getting, particularly in a year when we know that they're going to be budget cuts. And the third piece of this is that strategy. If we know what money there is and we know how people can work together, then we can really look into the future and say, this is what we anticipate getting. Here's where our money is now. How do we make the most of it? And I think that that strategy is really key in a state like Oklahoma, where our budgets don't tend to be pretty high and we're expected to really spread that dollar as far as it can go. That's a super helpful breakdown. Thank you. And then speaking more generally about mental health dollars, the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services had their budget hearing at the Capitol on January 20th. They requested $314,340,022, which is actually a 6% decrease from this fiscal year's appropriations. They also mentioned that the estimated Medicaid expansion would save them close to $30 million for next fiscal year. Could you explain and kind of walk us through why Medicaid expansion is able to save them so much money? Sure. So the Department of Mental Health really has two obligations. One of those obligations is to administer the Medicaid dollars for behavioral health. The other obligation is to provide care for indigent individuals who can't afford care otherwise. But these groups actually intersect. And with Medicaid expansion, a lot of those who exist in the indigent population could now qualify for Medicaid. Now, if you're in the indigent population, then the Department of Mental Health is responsible for the total cost of your treatment or services associated, like case management. Under Medicaid expansion, because there's a federal match, the federal government is is now providing some of the funding for the same treatment for those individuals if they're able to become Medicaid eligible and then get approved for Medicaid. The challenge here now is making sure that those who are now eligible for Medicaid have the resources and ability to go from being Medicaid eligible to being a Medicaid recipient. Yeah, I think they even mentioned that that was only a 65% estimate because it kind of takes some time once Medicaid expansion is rolled out to get everyone enrolled. So potentially this could even save more money in future years, right? Absolutely. And I think enrollment is one of those things that as an advocate, you can be really aware of and create strategies around. I think people know that the marketplace is kind of difficult to sign up for. And that's why we have individuals who help those who don't understand to better get access to the system. You're going to have the exact same barriers with the expansion of Medicaid. So really spending time and energy reaching out to individuals who might now be Medicaid eligible would be a really good use of time. Absolutely. It's just very exciting to have expansion happening in our state. Could some of these save dollars that we're talking about be reinvested back into the Department of Mental Health or other mental health programs? Yeah, I think that that's like a really exciting opportunity that not enough people are talking about. The money that we're saving 
shouldn't be reallocated somewhere in the budget. We should take this opportunity as the state with some really high rates of mental health and substance use to reinvest that both in prevention and in treatment. So those millions of dollars that we're saving by having that indigent population become a Medicaid population should really be reinvested in ways that we can, one, foster progress and innovation, and two, make sure that we're focusing with that lens of prevention. And I think the other sort of justification for reallocating these dollars back into the Department of Mental Health is the long-term impact of COVID-19. We are just beginning to understand the physical health implications I don't think anybody really understands the implication that's going to happen on the mental health side of things. And so we should really take this as an opportunity. I mean, obviously it's not free money, but it is money that we can earmark toward helping the population after COVID-19 has sort of fallen off of our radar. For sure. And I know you had mentioned earlier reaching out to your specific senator or representative. Are there more specific committees that advocates can be targeting um, to make sure these dollars stay within the mental health realm? Sure. So there are different committees, either in the Senate or the House. Definitely focus on your health and human services committees. Also focus on your insurance committees because they still end up hearing a lot of health-related bills. But I think even if your senator or representative doesn't sit on one of those committees, they're definitely friends or office mates with somebody who does. And so always reaching out. And it's always easier for your senator or representative to make a handoff to somebody on one of those committees rather than just emailing them blind just because they want to know that they're talking to their constituents first. And so having that introduction is really helpful. Excellent. Well, you're, you are just a wealth of information and I appreciate you. <laughs> and Oklahoma is better because of the work you and your colleagues do at Healthy Minds. So it's kind of our, one of our closing questions. I would like to know if you could wave a magic wand and fix the mental health landscape in the state of Oklahoma, what would you do? So my attorney brain says like something with the law and that's not true, right? The real answer is putting people first. Uh, I think so many times we put our pocketbooks first or we put pragmatism first or data first, but really placing people in a place of importance, which grammatically doesn't make sense, but putting people first is really the key here and the priority. So that means that housing, healthcare, supportive employment. It doesn't matter what the cost is as long as you're putting the person first. I'm a born pragmatist, so I understand that there are definitely limitations to that, but we can put people first without really extending what we're already doing. That means focusing on specialty courts, planning and strategy, busting stigma, normalizing, reaching out for help when you need it. Understanding that substance use disorders and mental illness are often co-occurring. And I think that you can only start to do all of these things when you realize that people are the priority. Very well said. As we close things out, our tradition is to give the guests an opportunity to share their final bits of wisdom with our audience. So Brittany, thanks again for your time and take it away. So I think... I'll start by saying that I don't follow my own advice, but I think as the advocates that listen to this podcast understand, we're entering sort of the busiest season. We're all advocating, we're reading bills. We put other people first as a career and honestly, like as 
as people, it's sort of like our nature. That's why we do the work that we do. And so in order to take care of other people, you have to take care of yourself. That doesn't mean like face masks and manis. Sometimes that means returning a call that you don't want to return. Self-care isn't just one of those pretty things that we put around. Sometimes that's deep cleaning your pantry because that's like your secret source of stress. So find ways to meaningfully take care of yourself so that you are better at taking care of other people.